And now, O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our strength and our redeemer. If, through the words of this human being, we do not hear your voice, O God, we ask that you would speak to each of us then, here in the quietness of our hearts. Amen. It's the topic we don't expect. When we come to church during this Advent season, when we come to worship together, what we expect to hear about in the days leading up to Christmas are those that we've sung about already. The angels, the shepherds, the wise men following a star, Mary, Joseph, Bethlehem, and of course, that baby in the manger. The expectation we have in worship is to focus on Mary expecting a baby and the expectations uh, in our hearts for the one Messiah. And yet here we are in the reading that we just heard nearly 30 years after that night in Bethlehem. We are not walking in any winter wonderland, but rather we are in a crowd of curious folks who have traveled to the shores of a dry and warm river on a hot summer-like day. And a man named John is there, a prophet from a priest's family. And the topic of his sermon is, all is calm, all is bright. Nope, heaven and nature sing. Nope, not that either. Instead, listen again to verses 7 and 8. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. The topic that John brings to us today is sin. The topic is repentance. And it's a haunting remembrance for us that the serpent who brought about the fall of humankind in the Garden of Eden with temptations of power and wealth and knowledge will indeed try to turn us into a brood of vipers controlled by our desires for these things if we're not careful. And worse yet, those desires for self-inflation cause us to deflate others. Instead of living out of compassion, our desire for power turns to jealousy. Our desire for wealth turns to greed. And our desire for knowledge can turn to pride. And all of these turn us away from God and can lead to the harm of others. John is mincing no words today in our need to search our hearts and to change our ways. Now, some of us, most likely all of us, did not wake up this morning and say, man, I would love to come to church and hear a message on sin and on repentance. And here on the Sunday where we light the joy candle as the children every year look forward to lighting that pink candle, the one that stands out in the crowd, we may be asking, where is the joy? Where's the joy in what you are talking about today? Let's get back to the Bethlehem. Let's get back to the baby in the manger that we'll be singing about that little, and we'll be singing about that little town in our closing hymn today. But listen to what we will be singing as part of that hymn. Listen again, to, listen to how this hymn ends. This is verse 4 of A Little Town of Bethlehem. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us. Our Lord Emmanuel. Friends, there is no joy of being children of God until we first realize what we need to do 
to enter into that relationship with God. There is no, and there is no greater joy than the joy of knowing we have been saved from the curse of sin and from the power of death. Let me say that again. There is no greater joy than the no, joy of knowing that we have been saved from the curse of sin and from the power of death. And even better news is that John does not stop in his message by simply telling us that we need to change. He offers in his response to the people present to him ways to show forth that change. And that leads us to another topic that we usually don't think about during Advent, a topic that John likely did not plan to address himself in this message, but it's the topic that emerges in his conversations with people who want to know what does it mean to change our hearts and to change our lives. Look with me again at verse 10. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, John said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? And he said, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be satisfied with your wages. We have just heard three groups of people ask John the same question. They're saying, yes, we want to be changed. We want to change our hearts. We want to follow after what God wants us to do. And, and, and they, say, they come to him and they say, what should we do because of this? And John has given them all specific answers, not generics, nothing vague, nothing abstract. He talks about what they are to do with their earthly possessions and with their income. John tells them what it is that they need to do with the money and the, and, the, and the possessions that God has so graciously given them. More specifically, he addresses what to do with income in the areas of work for the soldier and the tax collector. Now, why would John do this? In order to answer that question, we have to look at the larger story that he is telling, a message that deals with far more than earthly income. Because if we only pull apart this Q&A time between John and the crowds and the tax collectors and the soldiers, we're missing the bigger point, which is why these specific actions around money and possessions matter. John's concern is for the people. And the reason God called him to this life of prophecy is to remind people that God alone is the judge. All of us will stand before his throne one day to give an account of ourselves. God knows the heart. He sees our motivation. And as he once came in the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord, he will come again in just a few moments. We will say what we say every week in worship from the tr traditional apostles' creed. He ascended into heaven. He sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Another translation of that is to judge the living and the dead. You see, friends, John is not only speaking about the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry here. His prophecy echoes down through the ages about Jesus' return to judge the living and the dead. He will come once again from the Father's throne. And the question before us is, will we be ready? That's essentially what the people are asking John. They're saying, John, we want to be ready 
for when the Messiah comes. Give us a to-do list. Let us be able to check off what we need to do to flee the wrath that is to come, to use John's the language John uses with them. And, and John, if John were our guest preacher today and began his sermon by telling us we got to flee the wrath to come, my guess is all of us would raise our hands and if he asked, who wants to flee God's wrath? Of course we do. And our human nature says, yes, we want to. So what should we do? And here's where we can easily veer off track. I mean, we might want to do good and give and follow the rules out of fear. We also might think that we need to do good things to earn our salvation when nothing is further from the truth. We can't and don't earn our salvation by anything we do, friends. It is a gift of God that we receive. And out of gratitude for a gift we don't deserve, our response is to be one of bearing good fruit. John makes an important turn here in the message. After giving these specific answers of what people might do to flee the wrath to come, he reminds them of why. It's not to save themselves or to prove themselves worthy. What we do with our possessions or our money is not to curry favor with a higher power. What we do and how we act, are, and most importantly, the ways we change, are a loving response to a person, the person of Jesus Christ, whom John describes in this way in verse 16. John said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What a powerful reminder to us of who Jesus is and our actions, including but not limited to money, are never to be initiatives to gain something. They are responses to one more powerful than we are. Up until this point in the story of Jesus' earthly life, Luke has told us very little about Jesus. He's lived a quiet life in a small village, learning a trade and worshiping his heavenly father. He likely grew up visiting with and playing with his cousin, John, who is the center of our passage today. John is one of the few named people in scripture who knew Jesus during the years where very few people knew him. Even when Mary and Elizabeth were pregnant with their sons, there was a connection between the two of them. John is not speaking something about Jesus he learned in the synagogue. John is speaking about his cousin, the man he knew. And the one thing he knew about him was when the time was right, he's got to tell everybody to pay attention to his cousin named Jesus and how important it is to change their lives and to follow after him. John's entire life mission is about proclaiming the good news that the Messiah has come and for us today that the Messiah will come again. So how will we prepare for that day? Advent is the perfect season for us to be asking the questions that John encountered. What shall we do? What are we to do? As the grand Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, proclaims, Earth has received her king, and our hearts are ready to prepare him room. And how do we do that? How do we cultivate a heart of compassion? How do we cultivate hearts that, that, whose compassion bears fruit worthy of repentance? One of my favorite movies that I watch every year around this time is a, little, is a movie that was kind of under the radar about 10 to 15 years ago called Millions. 
And I talk about it most every Advent, if you're thinking this sounds familiar. But no, I haven't talked about this particular part of the movie before. You see, Millions is the story of a little boy named Damien. And Damien is an eight-year-old with a picture-perfect heart of compassion. Damien is so concerned about the poor of the world and making sure that everybody has enough to live on. And Damien, one day while he is playing in a little fort he made by the train tracks, he's playing and all of a sudden this bag just seems to fall out of the air into his fort. And he opens the bag and it is full of more money than he can even begin to count. Well, Damien does what any smart eight-year-old boy does. He goes and he finds his older brother, Anthony, and shows him this money and says, Look, Anthony, it's a gift from God. God sent us this money to help the poor. And Anthony says, he said, well, Damien, maybe that's the case, but we, we got to think about this. We've got to get organized. While Damien had the heart of compassion, Anthony had the, heart, had the head of wisdom to know we've got to think through what's going on right here. And so they both have very different ideas of what they need to do with this money. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when the two little boys go into the city and Damien is walking up to everybody he sees and says, excuse me, are you poor? And if they say yes, he would say, well, here's some money for you. And he was just doling out this money. And Anthony pulls him aside and says, Anthony, no. He said, we've got to think about this. We need to invest this money. We need to buy a house with this money. I mean, this is a 10-year-old saying, let's go buy a house and with this money that we don't know where it came from. But Anthony says, no, you can't just do this. You can't go walk up to everybody on the street. And the, the story, of, and the story, which is really Damien's story, but it's also the story of these two brothers figuring out what do we do with a gift that seems to appear out of nowhere from God. And we can see that a heart of compassion that, that doesn't use wisdom, can, the money will very easily run out and, and he will be taken advantage of. But then the brother who's all about practicality and, th and thinking about how do we invest this well also misses out a little bit on the heart of compassion. And the two brothers have to find a way to meet in the middle. And friends, we are, as the church, a place in the middle, a place where we are driven by a heart of compassion, but we also use our, the head of wisdom that God gave us to make good decisions, to help those who are in need, and also to do what we have to do to sustain God's and to work towards God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, today in this passage, John is not invoking us to give out of fear of God's wrath or demanding specific actions from us so that we can receive something in return. That's not the good news that John is proclaiming or that we proclaim as the church. You see, John is asking us to get our lives in order. And part of ordering our lives after the example of Christ is examining these details of our everyday lives, our coats, our possessions, our wages, our monetary exchanges. And in light of the knowing that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again, how will we order our lives as part of the church of Jesus Christ? Today, as we close the service, we have an opportunity in planning for 2022 to do something. It is not something we're commanded to do, it's something we're invited to do. And that is to give, to order our lives, to order our thinking, to plan in advance, to use our heart of compassion wisely for what God has called us to do. In the beloved hymn in the bleak midwinter, the last concluding verse is one that is familiar to many of us. And may it be the prayer of our hearts today as we commit our lives to the king who was, who is, and who is to come. What can I give him, poor as I am? 
If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what can I give him? I will give him my heart. As we give him our heart as a church today, will you, like the wise men, do your part? May our commitments and the changes that we make in our lives indeed be fruits worthy of repentance. For we are children of God. We are here to worship and honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ our Savior. And he is the one who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the blessed three in one, now and forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs> 